When the pages turn with passion, crisp as leaves, in autumned action drawn, the model breathes. When covers stare from glossier eyes than mine, and perfect air brushes between each line. When the writing about writing, the wearing about wearing, the lighting, the sharing, converge, one character blinded and wise, all the dreaded eaves are laid in costume. When the print wears off, when the article afternoon passes. Hey everyone, welcome back to Solar Scene. This week we are talking about fashion magazines, the history, the future, the death, all of the stages of the magazine. And I really liked that poem, Erin. It felt like it touched on a lot of your Erin-esque cliches of like the types of metaphor you were using. But also lots of fun puns, double entendres. Airbrushes, airbrushes. Mm-hmm. Um, the articles. Articles, of clothing, clothing of magazines. magazines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I really like being described as having cliches, so thank you. I think you're obviously the only one familiar enough with my poetry to, to kind of judge them. But I mean, if people are like, what are we, 110 episodes deep into Solocene by this point, they're familiar enough as well. So I'm really excited for this episode. As you can see on my notes, I have some doodles that I'm going to have you draw. But first of all, if you like Solo Scene, if you like us, you can buy our tiny magazines. Zines. Zines. They are (laughs) fun-sized, handmade, hand-sewn, written by us, and just really cool. And they all correspond to a semester of the podcast. You can buy them through the link in the description. And also... You can buy the clothes also in the link in the description. We have a few new things probably going up this week, which is exciting because our first collection was all blue and white was the theme that I was going with. But our next collection as we go into winter, they're not really released in collections going forward. They're just going to come up as they're made. It's going to be a bit more maximalist and colorful, which I really like. The winter edit. What's edit? What is that? Question for next week. What's an edit? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to start calling the clothes the Solar Scene Podcast merch just to annoy you. Oh, Aaron. Because I feel like that kind of degrades it. Thanks. Merchandise. So magazines. Did you ever have fashion magazines or like what's your experience buying those? Did you ever subscribe as a, as a youngin or as I an adult? I had the Scholastic magazines. I don't know if they were Scholastic, but they were very like for kids, for little kids. Right. Are you talking about the book fair ones that you could order the books? No, no. I mean, like, there were these kids' magazines, and they would be, like, about whales or about... Oh. They were kind of nature I suppose. I had those as a kid. And then when I was a teen, or tween, I should say, like, 10 to 13, I grew up in the early 2000s when it was kind of the heyday of the teen magazine, I think, like Teen Vogue, Cosmo, all those were really trendy. Right. So as soon as I became a tween myself, I was like, I need to read magazines to be up to date. Yeah. But the thing is, at that time in my life, I had no interest in fashion. I also had no interest in gossip or famous people. I still (laughs) don't really. So it was funny because it just felt like something I had to do was like buy these magazines. Mm. And yeah, I don't think I remember anything about them besides that a lot of them would have posters yeah that was kind of why i'd get them i feel like the jonas brothers were always on t- t- teen vogue covers mm-hmm. do you want to guess my what i was the only magazine i've ever been subscribed to football one no it was it was called the spongebob magazine that's really funny did you know about that no it was an official thing i don't know if it still is going but for about maybe half a year i just had this massive stack of spongebob magazines i yeah, think i might have gotten subscribed. a free subscription uh... but it had comics and i remember one of them had like these weird flimsy sunglasses in the back 
and just like SpongeBob stories. Yeah. And that kind of leads into the garment of the week, which I don't have with me anymore because it would fit my wrist at this point. Mm. It's called the Rice Krispie shirt. Oh, okay. And I printed off a picture of it that I found on Depop. Shout out to that guy Mm -hmm. who was selling it for $10 in mint condition. So you can describe to the audience. So the Rice Krispies shirt is a picture of Snap, Crackle, and Pop on a Rice Krispie blue. Right. Those are mascots. Yeah, the mascots. And are they playing soccer? Yeah, there's a football there. Obviously, Aaron only wears football associated (laughs) merchandise. So it's Snap, Crackle, and Pop playing soccer. Right. You called it Gildan, though. It was actually an Adidas. Like, that's why it was so weird. And I'm assuming, did it come out of the cereal box? It came out of a cereal box. That's why I kind of am associating it with magazines because Mm. similar shape, rectangular, and one could argue maybe similar contents. Yeah, I remember. (laughs) Sugary, vapid, like the the contents from a magazine is similar maybe to that from a box of Rice Krispies or indeed Lucky Charms. This was a a threefold... You know how the cereal boxes, they all belong to the same company, like Kellogg's? I think Rice Krispies is Kellogg's. Yeah. So often they'll be like, oh, you collect them all, like different items from each one. There was the blue Rice Krispies shirt. There was, I think, an orange Fruit Loop shirt Mm -hmm. and maybe also a Frosted Flakes one. There was this other kid in my fourth grade class called Donovan who had the orange shirt. So did it come in the box or did you have to mail in for it? Mailed in for it. Yeah. Because the only thing that we have from a cereal box right now is spoons, and they came in the box, which is yeah. Shout out to those really cool, cool spoons. They they change color with the milk. <laughs> <laughs> this is the content people are here for. But I like I like this tie-in. It's a good idea yeah. because that is a big part of magazines, especially in the later years of the magazines, is getting like a perfume sample. I remember getting really excited when I'd see one of those. I just like free things, but obviously when you buy a magazine, it's not free. Like you're paying $8 for it. So whatever you get in it, you're paying for, Mm -hmm. especially because magazines are so cheap to produce. And then you look at the actual prices of them because in the last few years, there have been a few magazines that I wanted when they were like really famous cover shoots done for them. There was the Harry Styles Vogue one a while back. And also there was a, what was it? I want to say it was the Florence Pugh one because you know how those two are like my favorite people, actors or whatever. Yeah, it's creepy. (laughs) There were two like Vogue shoots that each of them did and I kind of wanted the Vogue magazine, but it was like $25 or something because it was a special edition. And it's like this, like you can get a hardcover book for this. Yeah. So like why is it so expensive? But we'll get to that, I think. So magazines, what's the history of them, Alicia? So we've seen for those who perhaps it's your first episode is our word for the beautiful, sustainable, tactile future. I feel like we should say that at the start of each podcast. Yeah, because we do use it as an adjective quite a lot. We're like, that's really solacine. Yeah. People listening are like, are they... Is that the new fetch? Is what is What are they <laughs> trying to make happen here? But I, I mean, I would love to think that people who listen to the show, that's a part of their lexicon. Like mm-hmm. they'll see someone riding a bike while... What would be the most solacine image? Riding a bike while like drinking a, a homemade, locally grown smoothie? While yeah. also listening to like the radio, listening to the radio and maybe talking to somebody else on mm-hmm. a tandem bike. Yeah. Tandem bikes are very solo soon. It's true. And also wearing one of the gilets. Yeah. And reading a zine. <laughs> it's not very safe, but it is very solo soon. So solo soon is our name for like what comes after the Anthropocene when everything is perfect. Mm-hmm. But we're going to start by talking a little bit about the past. Take it away. Thank you. 
So the history of magazines, I had this hunch that it was going to be interesting. The <laughs> history of a lot of things is like, no, it was. It was okay. actually interesting for once. A lot of things, when I had that hunch, it just ends up being like, and it was invented, and then it stayed the same for 400 years. But magazines were originally, well, not originally, but how fashion news was originally circulated about 400 years before the magazine. So that would be um, 1300 to 1700, like the years. They were circulated using these little dolls called paramours, or just like fashion dolls. And they were Barbie dolls, essentially. Tiny mannequins that the designers or the people in usually France would make tiny dresses for. And then these tiny dolls with the tiny dresses would circulate around the world, sometimes crossing over lines in battle. Like they were boundless. That's such a kind of like, that's (laughs) an idea that I wish I could have come up with in like writing a fantasy. I know. It's so good. When I saw this and seeing pictures of them, it's just, it's so great. What are they made of? Wood? Wooden dolls. Yeah. And the dresses are made of the same materials. So these would circulate usually between aristocrats, but also tailors. And the tailors would be able to make replicas of the dresses for the people that want to buy them. And I just thought this was the coolest thing ever because... Yeah, I mean, it's a shade magazine. It's, it seems like it's a shade Build-A-Bear. Yeah. I remember, shout out Stuffy, my Build-A-Bear, who I just always used to waste money on. Mm. My, my parents' money. Yeah. Buying him like a hockey jersey. Mm. And it's like, why is this $30? Yeah. But Paramours, those sound really neat. Yeah, they Maybe are we should really make one neat. for Soasin. That could be our mascot. I like that. Cool. So that was like the original how fashion news was circulated. And then a little later, they were called fashion plates. So they were carved stamps, basically. And they would be stamps of the latest fashion. So this would be for mass producing prints before the printing press. And then they'd be hand colored. So picture like a stamp. It's obviously just black and white ink. And then they would color them by hand with watercolors or whatever pigments they have. And then these would be sold in kind of booklets to rich people to look through and choose sort of like a catalog, I suppose. Yeah, it sounds like it. But it was sold privately, not just to tailors. And these were also used to disseminate to people at, what are they called? Merchants du mode, so like fashion merchants, who I didn't know about until this week. And you'd think a fashion merchant would be someone that would sell clothes. But in France, these were people who sold like fixings to upcycle your clothes because that's what almost everybody did who weren't the ultra wealthy, even the wealthy and the middle class would do this. They'd go to these merchants de mode and buy a new trim, buy a upgrades. new bustle. Upgrades. This is my thing, upgrades. Exactly. And so these um these fashion plaques would be disseminated to these stores so that the the ladies going in wanting to upgrade they would kind of peruse the catalog and say i want to look like her they'd get what they need and they'd go and fix their dress it's so much more fun because then it might even look very slightly worse than what you could buy new out of let's say one of those stamped catalogs yeah but there's the history to it and it's more you i know and there's always there's always an implicit story because it's like Mm -hmm. oh i took it to this place should have seen the guy he was blah 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 like there's interaction I mean, I'm guessing in those days in France, human interaction wasn't as rare a thing as it perhaps is today. It's true. Where we can only talk husband and wife with two microphones between us and three cameras (laughs) on us, or so it seems. Yeah. These days. (laughs) (laughs) 
Little did they know we'd talk all the time. But so yeah, those were calles that they would be like ref- they'd be um circulated amongst the wealthy and these stores. And then that was up until the 1700s and early 1800s. But then 1850, kind of the Industrial Revolution, when it was easy to make a lot of magazines. Yeah. Also, people had disposable income to spend on magazines. The early years, like the early 1800s, was kind of when it started being prototyped. So newspapers would sometimes do a special edition all about the latest fashion, doing fashion reviews and things. And the first, like designated this is a fashion magazine was in 1849-ish and they it was targeted at women for like the first time because traditionally I mean there's a lot of contributing factors I was blown away by how many things kind of came together to make the magazine what it was but it was obviously like literacy rates increased the disposable income as I said women were starting to have disposable income because they kind of were joining the workforce And yeah, so the magazine started being marketed towards women. The department store was kind of founded. And this was the first place where women could kind of go unchaperoned because it was just shopping, but it also was a big social thing. So the department store ready-made fashion, because before this, there wasn't a ton of ready-made fashion except for in the military. Yeah. So it was, there were so many factors going into the magazine being like kind of having a boom 1850 to about 1950 was mm-hmm. like the it was like the uptick in the hockey curve but my favorite part about the magazine history is the locomotive's role in the magazine industry do you have any guesses of how the trains and the magazines work together i'm just picturing something to do with you know those regional kiosks for tourists that have little maps and like booklets pamphlets about the place mm-hmm Something like that, but with but for trains and also maybe train stops or schedules. Yeah, that's like that definitely makes sense. It's but wrong, isn't it? It is wrong. Very wrong. But it, I mean, I just wanted to see what your hypothesis was because yeah. that's kind of what you would think. But there's here's all the reasons why trains really promoted magazines. One, magazines were disposable, whereas a book you're not going to dispose the way that like a magazine you kind of would, right? Because they're cheaper and they're flimsy and thin. Another reason is they're short, so. You can't really read a book cover to cover on a short voyage, but you could a magazine. Three, they are kind of like the early TikTok in that you're not going to read a book on a train because it's moving, it's bumpy, it's hard to focus on the words. Okay, yes. But this is just these really short snippets of writing or just images. Mm -hmm. For the most part, it was a lot of images, illustrated fashion. And I just thought that was really cool because it felt like you don't really hear a lot about the evolution of like pre-literacy to TikTok. It's but true. I feel like this is a really interesting spot along the way where it was like people's attention spans were being short. They couldn't really focus on things because of the train and um, all these factors contributing to that. And I just thought that was really neat. And one more reason why they really took off among women is because they were actually encouraged because the domestic lifestyle is associated with embroidery, sewing. Mm -hmm. So this was thought to be like enriching to women. So it was still like a bit patronizing. And honestly, until the 1950s or so, they were almost all written by men. But then in the 50s and kind of post-women's rights, post-World War II, women started to actually have roles. And a lot of famous 
female writers got their start in women's magazines because they'd be have trouble publishing yeah. publishing houses. But like Agatha Christie in the 1900s, like early 1900s, published 90, 94 short stories in a women's magazine. And all these women, yeah, kind of had their start because it was a platform for them. And you asked me about the history of kind of like the gossip part of magazines. And I looked into it a bit. And what I gather is it was always a part of it because it can, it was more than just pictures of the aristocrats and pictures of the wealthy. It also had to have some kind of a narrative. Yeah. So the narrative was basically manufactured because we don't know what's going on in the with the royals. The elites. For, yeah, but you had to kind of create this narrative and little short snippets, not all the details, mm-hmm. just something slightly snappy and engaging. And it's almost always been associated with magazines, fashion magazines. And it also was a really great place for any kind of social change to be talked about and spread because men weren't reading these. So the women could kind of rally through this yeah. platform. I think it's kind of cool. I guess I always think of it just as Vogue and people wearing dresses on the cover mm-hmm. and fashion. But I, I suppose the whole medium of magazines or the industry is like covers a spectrum of all different things from the SpongeBob magazines to whatever craft. There's probably like a garden, there's gardening magazines, mm-hmm. right? Architectural, digest, all those yeah. kind of things. So it is kind of a neat phenomenon of like print mm-hmm. because I should have found the stat to back this up, but I think most people listening would agree that the heyday has been and gone. Yeah, And now I just walk through the pharmacy, which is where the only place you see magazines are Mm -hmm. also the checkouts in in supermarkets and wonder to myself who's buying these because it doesn't seem like it's young people. No, all of the in 2018, every teen magazine went fully digital. Like there aren't any teen magazines anymore really so there's some there's some but i mean all the big ones i should say the big boys, Vogue, the big players. um 17 all those 70 and oh my goodness i feel like i could talk about this all day it's so interesting and i feel like it correlates really well with just like the history of fashion but it's not it's not what this whole scene's about so i'll leave it at i have one more thing i wanted to share as a good segue into the solacine magazine world because my vision for the future of the solacine fashion Sector. I don't know what you'd call it. Citrus. Okay. Solacine Fashion Citrus is to sell patterns and lessons and stuff like that so people can make their own clothes, upgrade their own yeah, clothes. Yeah, or be like a, a roving fixer-upper like you just described, that guy. Yeah. What's his, What's the name? The Merchant de Monde. Yeah, him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when fashion magazines in like the mid-17th century took off, People stopped kind of making their own clothes because it ready-made was a thing, but it was also now associated with like status of like having someone else make your clothes or having a designer make your clothes. So really as long as fashion magazines as we know them have been around, people have been buying their clothes. But even for the first hundred years or so of them, like 17th century to 19th century, so this is 200 years, people, a lot of them still featured patterns or like ways to make your clothes. And I think that's really great. And it was always, there were always tiers to magazines. So like the more bougie ones didn't have patterns because they were all marketing towards the rich. Yeah. But the ones for the middle class all had these cool ways of like making your own clothes, how to like steal the look. And I think the solo scene will really, really lean into that for the fashion magazines 
and fashion media in general of like how to get this look or how to to be inspired by this not promoting buying it yeah like a picture of our cartoon paramore doll mascot yeah and it says steal his look yeah exactly not buy this from us it'll be do this yourself so anyway look at these little things i drew okay on the when you're looking at it on the left that will be like current day and first just describe that that's kind of like the magazine current day to like 10 to 15 years ago let's say okay so we have a vogue magazine big vogue word at the top big vogue word at the top person celebrity in the middle very prominent looks like starfish whole body celebrity and then at the bottom it's a little catch your attention headline headline celebrity's story Right. How Harry Styles lost 15 pounds for his exactly. last tour or whatever. Sure. And then on the right, this is why I think his current big, big deal. So the portrait magazine has become... Yeah, the landscape. The landscape read for YouTube. Ah. The YouTube video. With just a normal everyday person on the cover. Yep. And a normal person life thing is the title of the video. Title of the YouTube video. Because here's my kind of like sociological report for Tell this me. week people like watching fashion vlogs now young people yeah the people who i say aren't buying magazines more than they like buying vogue mm-hmm. and i don't think it's a medium thing people might say well you know no one's buying print anymore actually young people read a lot a lot of books mm-hmm. like print book sales book talk all that kind of stuff very in the proof of this is that the digital migration of those magazine platforms, your Vogue.com or, or like your newspapers, your NewYorkTimes.com or whatever, those don't get anywhere near as much traffic as the magazines did. Mm-hmm. So it's not about a digital versus print thing. It's just about, in my opinion, people don't like that big word on the top, that big organization word at the top, because it's like, what's Vogue? I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. There are some that survive, but mostly as kind of a a legacy thing where they like their name has taken on something else bigger yeah but for the most part i think people much rather when it just says someone's name like Mm -hmm. all the people you follow on youtube yeah definitely jenna phipps shout Mm -hmm. out people like first and last name that just sounds like your average girl next door will say girl because they're usually women um and they don't really i don't know if it's a distrust thing with vogue or harvard or the democratic party like it's all the same, I think, that people are moving away from these big organizations where we kind of look at it and say, we have the immediate opinion that they're just trying to sell us something and it will be overpriced and more in their best interest than in ours. So what you talked about last week with the affiliate marketing, influencer marketing, people are more likely to trust the person who they think of as their friend rather than a supermodel or even more than that, a big, you know, faceless organization. And I mean, there's a lot that we could talk about, like the shift from reading to watching and from celebrities, let's say, in the traditional sense to people that we make celebrities out of nothing. Take Mm. who's the the girl whose house tour we watched. Emma Chamberlain. Emma Chamberlain. I feel like she's a prime example. Mm. Never watched any of her videos, but I imagine it's normal person life thing. Yeah. Because she's like, look, guys, I'm normal. I'm normal, I'm normal. And then whatever happens after that, you know, that's almost beside the point. But, and I think it's like, there's pros and cons to this. One thing is that I actually think with this new way, 
it's a lot easier to form those parasocial relationships than if it's a massive celebrity. So that's something that's probably a con about it. You know what I mean? Like it's a lot easier to be like, oh, Emma. Yeah. She's my friend rather than, oh, I can't even name a supermodel. I don't, Heidi Klum comes to mind. Yeah, Heidi that's Klum. probably from like 30 years. No, but you know what I mean? Like Emma fans, Emma's yeah. IG followers feel closer to Emma than Heidi Klum's fans yeah. ever did. Mm-hmm. It's like that. Even if you watched every single episode of AGT. Yeah. Except those seasons where she wasn't on it randomly. <laughs> out of protest because she wasn't on but i think you know the new way it kind of this is getting a little bit off the question but it puts even less emphasis on the clothes as well Mm. because the old way you know celebrities on the magazine cover it almost reduces them to a model or a mannequin or a paramour as Mm -hmm. you would say maybe that's you know that word is more like more fitting even than i first thought but the new way is just like the clothes are secondary look, Emma's doing her laundry. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as someone who kind of works in the industry part-time, it's when you see a brand reaching out for like a collaboration, it's like, oh, just integrate it naturally. Just do your video and then have it in the background. Yeah, Kind of like they used to be in like product placement of movies. It's mm-hmm. a lot more subliminal. Whereas if there's the Met Gala, this is like the only time you kind of see all these designers kind of trotted out and they choose a celebrity to be their model basically and they each designer has a celebrity it seems very formal in how it's laid out and that's a very old-fashioned thing it seems like it doesn't seem like that's actually going to sell anything for louis vuitton to have a famous person wearing it it's more just kind of insular yeah, but that's what i was saying like any designer at the met Gala, they have like they'll they'll be fine because their name means something like that's why i mean the big legacy brands like louis vuitton or whatever hmm. but i don't think people feel the same way about newer brands or newer designers let's say so this brings us to some notes on in the solar scene fashion magazines in the beautiful sustainable tactile future and it's kind of like a threefold thing where we had this magazine and then i had this youtube thumbnail and then it's like this what's next yeah well as i kind of mentioned with the with all the different genres of magazines pertaining to every different hobby or industry it's such a spectrum of print in the solo scene and now that it's hard to define exactly it will be like this because I think that mm-hmm. variety is the spice of life and we have our zines yeah so that's one example of something that's really neat um I think that there are probably some more general lessons that can be taken from those like the fact that they are slowly made like we don't put out a zine mm-hmm. every week and even if we could we wouldn't because it's it's not necessarily always the best thing just to bombard your audience or yourself with information. I was talking to you about this yesterday, how newspapers originally were intended and popular because this is the fastest way that we can distribute information, news. And now I think that they should come back because it's a much slower way of distributing and processing news than is 24 7 following twitter or watching cnn and i think that slowness is good for people and that you know if you can't wait 24 hours or a week for it it's probably it's not pertinent to you it's not it's not that pertinent and it's like if it was pertinent, you should know from your senses yeah. like for instance a weather warning mm-hmm. it's like you should know about that 
And if you can't read the skies very well or read the atmosphere, you should have your fisherman friend who can tell you. Also with the zines, the, the tactility of it. How do you feel about that glossy magazine paper? They have that very distinctive sheen to them, right? Yeah, I they, don't mind it. They go through something called a super calendar. Ooh. Yeah, it has a bunch of cylinders and it puts the, the, the shine on the paper. That's cool. I think it's fine. Yeah. But I also wish there was a little bit more variety. It's weird how they all feel the exact That's same. That's true. I think. Yeah. And even on a previous episode, I mentioned the fashion almanac. Yeah. So this is kind of adjacent to those. There's catalogs, which I think are really neat. So it's hard to, to say, like, it should be one thing. Mm -hmm. But I did have some ideas. And one is that from the Heidi Klum to the Emma Chamberlain and then, you know, evolving that way, it's just becoming more and more people realizing there's not that much to this. I can do it. Yeah. Like, look at us. We're not supermodels. We're not like world-renowned fashion designers, but we're like, we can make a zine. Yeah. That would be nice. It's something we enjoy doing. We can do it to a pretty good extent. Mm -hmm. And it's like, here's the zine. Obviously, not everybody will be making zines because most people don't want to do that. And it's not like, it's not an easy thing necessarily. But I do like that DIY kind of underground collective culture. And I do think it's only going to grow up. As I said last week, with Nike and big corporations, uh, people will only realize more and more that there's no way to be unique like this and that the only true individuality comes from synthesizing things on your own right and not kind of at the whim of a, of a big company. So I think like actually zine culture rather than magazine culture, like there's a lot to be learned from that, the way that they're always kind of trading and it's a very decentralized concept. In Montreal, they have those zine vending machines. Mm. Things like that are really neat. It's kind of a distributor that takes all the local zines and will we'll sell them like that. It's just this general hope that the internet, I think, will almost come full circle with regards to pop culture and almost reach a saturation point where the only way to go is smaller and local. And an example also is that one Chobani uh, commercial Chobani being a a dairy brand, a big dairy brand, but they made this one commercial that people who are really into solar punk, and if you're not sure what that aesthetic is, look it up because it's very so similar to solar scene. They really like it because it's like this two minutes of imagery that's very fantastical and you won't see it and very utopian uh, and you won't see it elsewhere. But there's this one problem is which is the big like product placement all through it. Yeah, that was like my first thought I had about magazines in the solo scene was that they would be a lot slower and a lot more local because I was really shocked to find out that there's no magazines, like no major fashion magazines that just come out once a month, 12 times a year. Yeah. They all have moved online or they have like weekly issues or whatever. And you have to think about the quality of the writing, the quality of the journalism is going to be trash because you're going to have to make a story out of nothing if you want <laughs> to have a post every day. Well, I think that's... That's the big difference is that I can just imagine inside all these magazines, they're just like, what can we do to fill it? What can we do to fill it? Yeah. Like, think about a weekly SpongeBob magazine. Mm -hmm. How much can you write about? How much, like, how much SpongeBob content can there be? Yeah. Exactly. And this is kind of, you know, that might have been the birth of the, the awful content cycle. Mm -hmm. where We're just making stories out of absolutely nothing. That's why I said in the poem, the writing about writing or the, the wearing about wearing. Mm -hmm. Like it's this really not a nice machine, I suppose. 
Yeah, I watched a video essay about the life and death of the fashion magazine, and she was saying over the last 20 years or so, it's just been recycling the same old, wow, a red lip is so bold. Make sure you don't clash your patterns. Don't wear white after Labor Day. Just all these cliches. And no one's bringing anything new because it's kind of like we've reached a point where there isn't much new to say. It's all been said. Yeah, and I think that's that's fine. Like One of my main points about magazines in the sew scene is that just the recognition that most of this stuff is garbage. Yeah. Most of it's just, that's why I also compared it to cereal. Mm-hmm. It's like cereal brands in the sewer scene, sorry, Lucky Charms, but you're not going to be there either. Like so much of it is just vapid, airy, forget, forgettable and almost made to be forgettable trash. Yeah. Like it could just be sliced by like 80% and that would probably be a good thing. I think so. And I think in the solo scene, it will be more like the historical middle class magazines which kind of are just like reporting what's happening whereas the more high-end magazines would be trying to set new trends and i feel like since online shopping has taken off so much recently it's like people are obsessed with making new trends and being on the cusp of something new yeah that it's like they're pulling trends out of nowhere i feel like everyone kind of senses this it's like no one really wanted like the low-waisted early 2000s trends to come back, but someone just pulled it out, maybe paid Emma Chamberlain to wear it or whatever. And I feel like it's all, there's nothing's organic anymore. And the solo scene will be a bit more organic and any journalism on anything, not just fashion, will be reporting, not trying to make a story out of nothing for the sake of it. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a rush to be on the vanguard that's accelerating to a detrimental extent, probably regarding people's actual tastes and yeah. individuality. The magazine aesthetic of just like cut and paste collages. Mm-hmm. That's really neat. I like that. Like my 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 image of it is a lot more visual. The the, the pull-out posters or the terror posters, mm-hmm. I, I think that's a really great, a really neat thing. Catalogs, picture books inspiration coffee table books like a real life physical pinterest mood boards like this is where magazines excel i think this is where they this is what they do well at especially fashion magazines yeah i definitely agree it's a good way to transition off of the phones into a more tactile analog way of life but regarding those there would be no need for it to be weekly because you know people should kind of dwell on the images mm-hmm. like i often think about so many successful people you know older people have a story about pasting an image on their wall yeah or cutting out a certain quote and putting it on their wall and looking at it every day or a, a person that they really idolized and i don't think there's as much of that today just because there's so much image like the image has kind of been cheapened to this this extent where you can find anything at any time, print out a million of them, Mona Lisa's, let's say, just put them all over your room. The magazine is a nice way of celebrating certain images or extolling certain images, like lifting them high, saying this is worthy of prints. And it lifts it above all the other stuff that people just spam on Instagram hashtag outfit of the day. Yeah, and I think as you were saying with like the zine culture, we can find a way of like bringing value to them because I it's easy for them to be disposable. It's part of why they were invented, so flimsy, so poorly printed. But they could be a bit more 
high end in their manufacturing, but people will trade them and swap them. Yeah. And maybe you don't get the news in air quotes for three months or something because you were waiting for your friend to finish reading it and then their <laughs> friend. But it's like it'll make news travel slower. And it's not pertinent news. It's not like the president has been assassinated. No, yeah. It's like this is a cool sweater. Yeah. Like it's really it's frivolous and people will know it's frivolous, but it will be so it should be treated as such. It shouldn't be like pressing like I need to be following Vogue every single post, every single mm. tweet they put out. Like people will relax a bit more and be like, if I don't get the trend right away, yeah, no one's going to die. It'll be fine. I also have this idea that it's maybe not the most so scene, but it's about tie-ins to, as you said, narratives and stories. But I don't think the narrative should be so tabloidy as Brangelina back together. I really like the idea of tying it into the stories that we already love. So this might look like comics in newspapers, the funny pages, or we just watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood this week, rewatched, should I say, and there's a novelization of that that I think is, I, I like yeah. when things have other elements. There was a film um, out last year called Nope, you know, the big Jordan Peele film that had a tie-in clothesline. Ah, I yeah, like the, like the orange hoodie that the guy wears in the movie, stuff like that. I think that's really neat. And even even Pokemon, you know, is a cartoon and a video game. But mm. what people what ties them to it so much the is the cards because they're Ooh. they're touching it, smelling it. They have more of a connection to to Pikachu and and Charizard than they would to say new uh, cartoons. Yeah, cartoons that don't have that. So I don't think. Like I said, I don't know if that's necessarily a very soliciting thing. It's a good corporate model for people who are, yeah. you know, for, for whoever's distributing Nope or, or for Nintendo with Pokemon. But I think there's there's just something to the tangibility of it. Mm-hmm. But what I say about the zines, this is kind of, yeah, this is my point. Like I like the decentralized nature of those. And even last week, I think I mentioned merchandise for mm-hmm. IPs, albums, films, whatever. One of our favorite bands, Vampire Weekend, I think they do have official merch, but they also really celebrate and try and, in a way, uh, recognize and promote bootleg merch. Yeah. Like they, they're always kind of talking about that and like encouraging their fans to buy it, which I always thought was a, such a neat, like if it has a typo or something, mm-hmm. like that's such a neat kind of prospect. Yeah, it was kind of fun. A24 does that, like they'll make a movie, then they'll make like a, it's kind of like memorabilia, but it's usually a bit more... I'm trying to think of like one of their things that they've made. Those make like a mug is a bad example, but something, a prop from the movie, they'll recreate it or something. I think that's kind of fun. I like memorabilia. I feel that's kind of what we try to do with the clothing line and zines of like the merch. The it's not merch. just merch. It's not just like a, a <laughs> traditional t-shirt. It's trying to be truly inspired by like the message that the the art is promoting. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I had two more two more points. One is about ads because magazines are what probably 103% ads I think like it's genuinely like they're, yeah, they're 90% and ads even, even when they don't look like ads they're yeah. ads right and this is whatever this has been the case for magazines yeah. for decades and decades but my one point that I mentioned last week also make the ads look nice it's like someone's mm-hmm. buying this they don't want to be subject to this hideous ad for like Ozempic mm-hmm. is that the name for that drug I don't know but it's close enough you yeah, will know what um, you mean there are so many ads from like the the pre-internet era, let's say, that people think are beautiful in their own right and would cut mm-hmm. out, you know, that L.L. Bean ad as, and treat it as like a vintage piece of art by itself, which it yeah. is because they, they they took care to 
to work on the design of it, mm -hmm. the photography and the graphic design and obviously the product. But now it's just like, let's just spam it out and make it look hideous on a white background. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's not like in the solo scene where you'd say, there's no ads in these. There mm -hmm. are, but let's make them look nice. Yeah. I think that would be the way to go. And then my final point is take me somewhere new because so many magazines, it's like, here's what's trending. And the problem is I can see that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why are you telling me about what's trending here? Yeah. About what's, what's cool this summer in Montreal. I, that's the one thing that I do know. Yeah. So I feel like, and this also goes about globalization and making making the world big again. Maybe we can mm. talk about that from the fashion point of view next that's week. A really good idea. Yeah. Is tell me, you know, what's happening in Bangladesh? I feel like that would be that would be neater and more interesting. Or even just tell me about some different style. Be like the goth magazine, even when goth isn't trending. Be mm. like the the 2014 magazine or here's an idea for a magazine so our october 2023 issue is going to be set in october 2013 we're always like 10 years behind the times so yeah. like something like that would be such a neat prospect that is really really cool let like alone that. let alone you know 2033 which is kind of what we're trying to do with the podcast gq gq you know what that stands for gentleman's something i think it's like gentleman's quotient or quarterly yeah. but anyway so that's a i think it's like the one big men's magazine yeah but now it's mostly online. Yeah. At least, you know, I went through a phase of reading it. Mm. And the problem is it did this pivot where it used to be about crispy stuff. Like, you know, the, the traditions of suits and tailoring and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Which is not exactly right up my alley. No. But now it's just like, here's what's happening now. Yeah. And it's like, but you were this thing. And it would be more interesting because it's different. And it's not what we can already see. Yeah. But anyway, those are kind of my points. Or be like the ancient rome fashion fashion magazine yeah if we make a fashion zine we should do it yeah the fashion of 2030 just make it all like that have like a model yeah like yeah. make up make up our model yeah i think it's really fun jim bolina jim bolina just one name gender neutral <laughs> <laughs> that's actually such a good name i like it um <laughs> Yeah, I think because with magazines, it was early on, it was very general. Like all magazines would just be kind of like the New York Times that are, there's a fashion column, there's a news column, yes. a business one. And then it got super specific where there was the SpongeBob magazine, the photography one, mm -hmm. and not just photography, but like photography for people living in this one area. Yeah. Now it's kind of gone back to more general. Everyone's just a bit. Yeah, but that kind of sucks. Yeah. So I think the solo scene, it'd be more specific. Because then you're getting what you want. It's easier for marketing. You're not going to be bombarded with ads of stuff completely unrelated to what you want. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think it's cool. Also, one final note, not so much to do with magazines, but just like a, what do I say, a PSA? Yeah, public service announcement. Celebrities don't dress themselves. Yeah, that's a PSA. Don't act like they're like the style icons. I mean, maybe they wear it well. That's them being models. Yeah. Because they're usually celebrities, you know, speaking actors and music because they look nice. Yeah. But they don't, they have stylists. Mm -hmm. Whereas you and I, the, the common folk, look at us. Monochrome day. Yeah, they're monochrome day. I'm wearing all beige. Beige, black. Check it out on YouTube. It's wild stuff over here. <laughs> so we've seen podcasts on YouTube. One yeah. final question of the day. We're going to rank the most Soacene sports uniforms. We okay. thought it'd be a fun way to close the episode. I have three things, four things really. Okay. 
So I'll start with my honorable mention, okay. which is horse. Equestrian. Equestrianism. Yeah. Horse racing, polo. I also had fencing in here. Okay, I like this. <laughs> I feel I like fencing, this. fencing has something to do with horses, right? Yeah. Jousting, I guess. There's just something so unattainable and elitist about that. It's so, like, you can't, I feel like I couldn't even watch it unless I was wearing no. an Yeah. That's so funny, actually. I like that. But there's, I think it's fun to have those I think it's fun to holdouts. aspire. I think it's yeah. a good thing to aspire. I mean, we can talk about, like, discrimination. It's not like people on the horses should be disdainful of us who are trying to peek through the fences because we're not allowed in because we don't have our proper clothing mm-hmm. but i do think it's it's neat to look up sometimes yeah so Has yeah uh, fencing whatever and then my, my three weren't really in order because it's just okay. you know whatever but one is tennis mm-hmm. which we spoke about before we said it's very neat because the outfits are for the high level athletes designed in conjunction with the court colors mm-hmm. and that's something that we don't think about enough i'll call it tennis theory Okay. Which is that what you're wearing is actually only half of it. It's also what you're around. So it's like, you know, he wears this one thing. It may look very different if he's at the French Open on mm. red clay versus at the US Open on dark blue hard court versus at Wimbledon on grass where obviously he has to wear white. And secondary to that, I like how the racket, I'm counting that as part of their uniform, mm-hmm. is kind of like this cyborg-like extension of their yeah. hand. That's really neat. Yeah. And then thirdly, how do they run around with tennis balls in their shorts? That, that's... Yeah. Tennis was what I chose to talk about because of all the reasons you said. I think it's cool because the outfits are really practical. Like, yeah, there's pockets. Yeah, what's with They're, that? They're like carrying stuff around. They I wear know. jewelry. It's like, what is this? And I think it's cool because it's it's made to play the sport, but it's also made like you could just probably wear that same outfit out to dinner that night. Yeah, you I know mean, there's sports that are like that because they're also the, technical. The the tennis skirts, everyone's wearing yeah, those these days. Exactly. Not me, but most people. And one more thing I really like about tennis is how it's, yeah, they fit the court, but it's like the audience is kind of a part of it. Like obviously at Wimbledon, everyone yeah. has to wear, wear white. There's no other sport where there's like a dress code for the audience. I'm sure fencing yeah, I, I maybe there is. I don't think they is. have to at Wimbledon. I just, think they, I just think everybody does. Oh, okay. Yeah. The players have to wear white. Yeah, yeah. And I think people, yeah, in the stands. I think it's cool because it, really the only sport that it feels like it leaks like the fashionability leaks out like maybe in american football everyone is kind of wearing just like (laughs) slack whatever like gym wear but that's not cool that's the least so it's in in terms of fashionable yeah i think so i also had this analogy which i think will lead into what you're gonna say next of like tennis it feels like you're dressing the prima ballerina like the the star of the show yeah whereas team sports is like when you're dressing the corps de ballet which is a different type of design really because it's you're ensemble. not dressing them to yeah stand out you're dressing them to be in all together ensemble, ensemble. And <laughs> yeah that, that was my next one football yeah which i guess it's the case with most team sports but football for some reason is it's just better it's just a lot more stylish yeah maybe because they have such a bright green instead of like an ugly rink color mm-hmm. been, been below them maybe it's because you see them together more often than like let's say baseball yeah like they're lining up at the start you know they're often close together on the pitch. Uh, soccer, this is I'm talking about. And it's just matchy-match. Yeah. Matching is always neat. I like Matchy-match is cool. And also, I think football might have the most variability in terms of its outfits. Mm-hmm. I feel like all the hockey jerseys generally look the same shape. Same mm-hmm. with the basketball. I remember there was a big deal a few years ago when one of the 
like Nike did a few basketball shirts that were like short sleeve. Yeah. And a lot of people hated them because they're mm-hmm. usually just vest, right? Whereas with football, soccer, the short sleeve, long sleeve, the Under Armour. Polos. Yeah, you were shocked that there were some that had collars. I think that's great. This is all sorts of like random stuff. The only yeah. thing I don't like about it is the big sponsors. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes that's neat and it's like Nintendo. Yeah. You're like, oh, that's kind of... Or so we're seeing. Goalkeepers wearing pants. What's, <laughs> what's going on with them? Are they playing yeah. a different sport? And then my last one is climbing, rock climbing. And I'd forgotten about this entirely mm. until yesterday when I saw someone walking around with his climbing shoes clipped to his backpack, just wafting in the breeze as he ran. And I just thought those are the best looking shoes ever. So weird. I'm so, so, cool. so frequently duped online. Like if you're looking through, that sounds so like boomer, but if you're shopping through Google Images, as some of us do, and then you see like, whoa, those pants or those shirt, that shirt or those shoes look amazing and you click on them and they are always 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 for babies they're always infant sizing but on the google images you know you can't tell the size you can just tell the silhouette the shape of it and baby shaped clothes are very very stylish and so seen and i my goal is basically to have the dimensions of a baby just bigger and rock climbing shoes have those they look like they're for babies and that's what's neat about them the gilet was born out of that of me keep i kept seeing on pinterest these like vests that and then i'd be like this is so this is perfect it looks so cool it's a good way to like change any outfit and then i'd click on it and it would be yeah for a baby so i had to make the pattern myself because there were like no vest patterns that were the shape like really simple and cropped but it's funny you said that because that is a very soul-esteem thing yeah 50 percent of our garments are baby inspired <laughs> you were talking about how you thrifted this beige suit suit that you're wearing right now and it's just very nice yeah and i was kind of joking that men's clothes at thrift stores are just like ragged old like walmart t-shirts and stuff yeah but i feel like it kind of goes infants women men's in terms of the the style hierarchy i i agree i wouldn't disagree with you on that one (laughs) that episode is a little bit all over the place but Thanks for listening anyway.